Hey everybody, you're listening to What's the Point Podcast, a podcast of Waypoint Church, and uh, I'm your host today, Eric Weiner. I'm joined in studio by uh, fellow pastors, if you want to introduce yourselves. I'm here in studio. My name is Pastor Lawrence Yu. <laughs> yeah, I love the Waypoint Studios. This is one of my favorite places of all the of all the studios I've ever recorded a podcast. So thanks I, for thanks if, for inviting me, Eric. Yeah, this, you know, this one is just if, if like I had to top dollar, man. If I had to use one word to describe the Waypoint Studio, I'd call it makeshift because that's yeah. that seems to be uh, fitting. But uh, you know, guys, we're we're going to jump into a uh, topic we we've been studying as a church. We've been studying through the the books of Joshua and Judges over the past what like. 10, 12 weeks. Uh, so we want to. We just want to jump in as, as kind of like a, a conclusion to that. But before we do that, I want to start with a, this icebreaker. So we were talking about this earlier uh, during our staff meeting and just want to throw it out to you guys. What was your senior yearbook quote? So my senior yearbook quote, there was a movie that was popular for me and my friends. It was called Swingers. And it was a movie about... Just, a bunch of young guys in Hollywood area. Not we got to do like swing dancing, so it has not, not a weird movie. It's but, not. It's not the other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. not like that. But either way, um, swing dancing. Yeah, swing dancing. Okay. It's actually me. And my friend got to swing dancing too at, this, at the time. But the quote from the movie is, um, "This place is dead anyway." So that was my senior quote. I said, <laughs> "I left left Rutherford High School saying this place is dead anyway." <laughs> wow. So mine. Uh, So, you know, I was in student government and, you know, really like to dialogue and think about politics and stuff. So mine does say Castiglione in 2024. So I have two years (laughs) to run for president, y'all. Nice. I'm voting for you, Danny. You got to you got to register. You got to figure out how to how to get on that. I know. So you have to like campaign, have a certain amount like race. So this podcast, I'm I'm launching my presidential (laughs) Official announcement. (laughs) You heard it here first on Waypoint. What's the point podcast? Hey, at the very least, Kenny, I'll write you in. Yeah, so mine mine was not as as bold or exciting as as your guys. I mean, I, it's hard to say which one is more bold. <laughs> it's, it's quite quite the exit strategy, Lawrence. But um, mine was a, a quote from Lou Holtz, the former Notre Dame football coach, where he said something to, along the lines of, "You mu- you look like an optimist. You must do a crossword puzzle with a pen." So that was that's what I got. Dang. I love it. But, I love it. Uh, so with that being said, guys, like, like I said, I mean, since the beginning of this year, we've we've been in, in a uh, a sermon series as a church going through the books of Joshua and, and Judges. So we spent the the first six weeks looking at at Joshua, and now we're uh, I think this is week six. We're actually ending our series this week in in the book of Judges. Uh, but and after this, we're going to be going into a series, a brief series, to get us through Easter in in the Gospel of Mark, which I'm excited about. Yeah, uh, because we we've, we've literally gone from <laughs> Revelation to Joshua to Judges, and now we get Mark. Mark, this, this sounds great. Talk about Jesus, Breath the good news. Air. But um, good news. What, what have you guys learned from from our time studying the books of Joshua and Judges? I mean, has has anything stood out to you in, in a new way as you've been studying this time around? You know, it's interesting for me as we've kind of been in these difficult books: uh, Revelation, uh, Joshua, Judges. It's almost. I don't know, I feel like I've enjoyed our time in these difficult books more sometimes than the easier books. I feel like we had to go in with more study, with more uh, intensity, a little bit more of, uh, of painstaking fear of the Lord and what the text is. And I don't know, I just really enjoyed 
maybe a little more than some of the other occasions our time in these difficult books. There's something about studying difficult books that make you glean more, make you work a little harder, make you search a little more, um, that I felt just enjoyed this time in these books. I loved it. For me, one of the biggest things that I just take away that I just can't avoid over and over again is I first want to see and yell at how stupid the Israelites are. Hmm. I want to just, just rail on them. At the same time, more and more I see the human condition more and more I see myself, uh, more and more I see the church, the church yeah. and all, all of our imperfectness and our imperfections, I mean, and um, it, just, it just brings that more to light than ever before in our desperate need of a Messiah. Hmm. Yeah, wow. I agree with you, Lawrence. I, yeah, learn too much. Like, you guys know I love information. I, you know, I, when I get excited about something, I just, just read a lot, and I... I mean, the first thing I want to say is the beauty of Scripture and that God gave us Joshua and Judges, and and they're they're dark and they're they're morbid, and the end of the whole narrative, the end of of Judges, might be the darkest moment in Israel's history. I mean, like, but it's an account that actually happens earlier in the narrative. Like, I didn't know that until I studied it. That it, it refers to like the grandson of Aaron. So the last couple chapters of Judges actually happen early in the narrative and it's not chronological so they were already depraved and fallen apart <laughs> like well before the narrative i mean well early in the 400 years maybe about after 100 years they were worshiping idols and just practicing all the canaanite things but so the darkness shines i mean the light shines through the darkness because we see the hope that god is just faithful and redeeming his people so that's kind of where I landed on that. I think probably the most surprising thing about me is 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 the prophetic ministry, because I never thought I, I would have been like, oh yeah, there were lots of prophets in the land, and then I studied it, and literally Moses says a pro- what the office of prophets prophets is. So the only prophets we get in the Pentateuch is the first prophet mentioned is Aaron, second is Miriam, and the third is Moses, and that's it. And then. There's no prophets mentioned, and then there's a promise of prophets and, and what they'll do, what their role will be in Deuteronomy, uh, and then no prophets and judges show up, and then Deborah is the first prophet, and we get an, some extensive detail about Deborah, which is really awesome. Yes, you know how she led, and, and she uh, was the voice of, of of God to the people, and she stood in with a priest. If, if you look geographically, where she set up shop was close to where the tabernacle should have been. So it's like the priests were were not, they were falling short. I mean, if you look at this, the last story, and the Levites were falling short, and God raised up a prophet, and he raises up Deborah. And then there was one other prophet, this unnamed prophet that speaks to Gideon, and no prophets show up again until Samuel, in the, in the book of Samuel. So I think for me, one thing as I learned is that in redemptive history, it's maybe not as cut and dry as I thought. I, I tend to forget that the Old Testament is over a long period of time, and God is continuing to work and to continue to use his people. So those are a few of the things that stood out to me. Yeah, I definitely think that's important to keep in view that, um, yeah, this isn't, and, and you mentioned this in the first sermon, Lawrence, that you did in, in Judges, is that this is this is taking place over, what, 400 years? And so... I mean, it's easy to read the narrative and think, okay, this is in successive order. And even like you're saying, Danny, that it's chronological and, and you're saying it's not. Um, I think for me, I, I don't know if it was God's providence or just it's just the way it fell, but uh, going from, from Joshua to Judges, I got to preach on 
Uh, and so spent some time really studying Israel crossing over the Jordan. And that was like this big momentous event yeah. in for, for, I mean, as, as God's, God is establishing, he's showing, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to this covenant and I want you to learn how to be faithful to the covenant too. I want you to learn how to, how to, how to live in relationship with me. And he's like giving them the land and all this stuff. And, and then you, they, they set up this monument uh, outside of Jericho in this place called Gilgal. And then in Judges, I got to preach on uh, the story of King Eglon, the Moabite, and Ehud, uh, which is just a, it's, it's just a funny, I mean, it's like, that's like one of the premier uh, high school boys love that story, you know? It's like, so, so getting to preach on was a lot of fun. Stabbing someone in the but, belly and getting a knife stuck in there. I mean, it's Big just fat so, dude. it's such a, it's such a funny, king. funny, it's unique, stuck in the bathroom. interesting narrative. Um, but in it, so so uh, Eglon's this left left handed guy who gets appointed to be the judge, and he's going to pay tribute uh, on behalf of the Israelites, and um, and so he goes and he, he pays it to Eglon, and 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 the the, the whole location is, is taking place pretty much where Jericho was. The city of Palms is is where Jericho was, and so it's it's interesting the way that this this story maps on. So uh, Ehud leaves. And gets to a point where he's going to turn back around. He he go, he's going to this place called Gilgal, which is the place where the monument was erected. Except now it says in, in the judge's account that there's these idols that have been erected. And you see wow. like the people uh, forget God. It's like how do they forget God. Like each each of these stories, like they they decide to go in their own way. They forget God. And you're like literally the thing that was supposed to make you remember God. You've you've already uh, like put idols in place of or over like in addition to and it's like man well that's that's what you start to see happening you start to see these people uh lose sight of who god is and i just think like man how does that how do you see that taking place from one generation to the next it's like it you start to you start to see that set set into place where uh so so those are those are some things just like unique things about you know studying these books i'm like well that's that's really it's really powerful to see how that's that's taking place, and yet God God is still working in the midst of that. Um, Lawrence, you you mentioned as you you were sharing earlier that yeah this this is it, you you like pressing into the hard stuff as we're and it, and it's almost like yeah we're pressing into hard things and, and we're living in hard times and and maybe it, people might even wonder you know there's so much pain and hurt in our world today like. I mean, especially with all the technological advances, I mean, you're just, you're aware of it 24-7. I mean, and Joshua and Judges, these aren't uplifting books per se. So uh, <laughs> I kind of want to ask a, a two-part question here. The first is, how, how, do, how do these books fit into the larger biblical story? So that's the first question. Then the second is, why, why are we studying them? Mm. Well, I mean, why not do something like Mark? Why not do something more <laughs> uplifting right now? Because we're... I mean, it's, it's hard. No, those are good questions. We believe at Waypoint the whole counsel of Scripture. And we believe that the whole all of Scripture is God-breathed and it's intentional and telling the, the bigger story of, of what God is doing in the world. You know, so we don't, we don't want to negate parts of Scripture just because it's hard to read. You know, it's like trying to go through life and just negate everything bad that's happened in life. We believe, no, we can't do that. We believe that even the bad that's happened in life shapes us and molds us. It's, it's all with purpose. And all of this points to the good news of Christ. Like exactly. the pretty much the New Testament is the index of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. showing us how Jesus is the mm-hmm. fulfillment of all this. The Old so. Testament is double the length of the New Testament. 
So there's, there's purpose to that. There's so much setting up and store pointing towards, especially the book of Judges and Joshua. It's setting this, even for us, very practically, in the whole meta-narrative, it's this idea of the kingdom of God expanding. The kingdom of God claiming the land that they were meant to claim, this promised land. And when they get there, what are they doing with it? You know, how fitting for us in the inauguration of the kingdom with Jesus Christ as we're learning to see the kingdom advance and for us to live and then claim the land that God's given us. You know, what are we doing in it? Do we fall to Canaanite worship? Do we fall, follow through with the commitment to advance the kingdom? Very practical books in those ways, but it also shows it all fits perfectly in the whole meta narrative of what God's doing. Yeah, like when I when I preached on one of the parts of Joshua, I can't remember which one, but when I looked at his giving them the land, literally saying, you get this piece, this piece, this piece, it's not a very big piece. It's not ambitious. God is not like, you're going to control the whole region from Egypt all the way to Babylon, Babylon and then all the way up into what we would call Turkey, like eventually empires did control all that and in the southern egyptians and the northern empires they're all fighting over that land but the little strip right in the middle just a very small piece of land like smaller than maybe the triangle and the triad combined is how much god gives them i mean it's not a huge amount of of land that he's giving them smaller than north carolina substantially smaller and he's saying you know i'm going to give you the best right in the middle and i'm going to protect you i'll be your god i'll be your king i'll be your your the general of your army like even though, and it just shows God's intentionality. Like he his he wasn't like you need to conquer more than you need. He's like I'm going to give you what you need to be my people, and if you follow me and obey my law, it, you'll expand. But you'll expand this spiritual realm, like the 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 tent and meeting and and the idea of what it means to worship the tr- one true God will expand, and the other nations will be attracted to it. But instead. They end up worshiping, you know, like being attracted to the stuff that God saved them from. Literally, they were in bondage and slavery. They were servants of Pharaoh and of these other religions. It even says that Abraham worshiped, you know, pagan gods. And God pulls them from this, and they get in the land, and they, they fall short. So I think, I think that shows just part of the narrative. But I, I think it points people to Christ. And you can say everything in the Old Testament points us to Christ. But... If you look at Chronicles, Chronicles is a summary of the whole Old Testament. They kind of skip Joshua and Judges. The Chronicler just jumps ahead and gets to the king section. He, he, he talks about the stuff before Joshua and Judges and the stuff after. He just lists all the names of the people in the land. And, and I think when we, but when we look at Joshua and Judges in the, in the text itself, the Hebrew Bible, we see it's just showing God fulfilled his promise. He gave them the land. And then right after it is Ruth. God's showing that I'm going to bring a deliverer in David, and I'm going to, and it's, it begins the the bloodline of David. David starts failing almost immediately after becoming king. Solomon fails, and like the cycle continues with the kings. But I, I think it's like some people. I wish God would just do it. I wish He would just give us what we need. Give just give me all the instructions, God, and we'll follow you. I think Joshua and Judges show that that's not true. Like we need His Spirit. We need humility. We need each other. Like I. And Joshua and Judges show that, yeah, God gave them everything they needed. Deuteronomy covers it all. They have the law. They have everything they need. They, God gives them the land and gives them military protection, and they can't handle it. So I, I think with it, it just continues to show us that every time we cry out to God and say, God, why didn't you just do it this way or why didn't you just do it that way? As Christians, we can look back in hindsight and say, he kind of did it that way. 
and we couldn't handle it. So we're thankful for the resurrection power we have in Jesus and the forgiveness of sins by his blood and resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of Pentecost. So that, that's kind of where I feel like it fits in the narrative and why these are extremely important books to study. Yeah, and so we'll, we'll even get into a little bit later here, you know, Danny, you're mentioning, you're bringing up this idea of kings and, and what's the role of kings in the midst of, of Israel's history and, and, you know, why, why do they call for kings, all that stuff. But um, in, in thinking about Joshua, Judges, I mean, spe- specifically, we just, we're, we're honing in on, on Judges here. I mean, it, the, the trajectory of the book is this, is this one downward spiral. I mean, it's this one, it's the spiritual decay of, of Israel and you know, we could easily focus on all, all the all the negative things, but on the flip side, like what, what about what, what is what is encouraging here? Even even in spite of all of the all the negative things you see unfolding, what what can we look to for encouragement in the midst of the dark places and the hard times? The goodness and faithfulness of God. That's actually literally what my notes say. What I have written down. Is that literally what you, you stole my say? answer? <laughs> <laughs> actually, that's the answer in like ninety nine percent of all the Israelite story, right? And exactly our story, right. yeah. That's our story. I mean. We can say for for many people, whether it's the Great Recession, whether it's COVID, whether it's mental strain that's going on right now, there's so many things that seem to be struggling. They look at the spiritual state of the world. They look at struggling economy, whatever it may be. And they feel like, man, things are getting hard. And what can I say to them? That what can they get out of judges? Is things were hard. Things are always hard. In this life, we will have troubles. You know, Jesus said that. You know, he promised it. You know, but he also says, but we can take heart. Because he has overcome the world. And that's the message, even of judges, is that things are hard. People can be conquered. Land can be conquered. You, people become unfaithful. But he's always been faithful. He keeps his promises. He always sent a deliverer. He keeps, stays true to his covenant. And he always rescues. And he ultimately rescued us. That's a reminder for us. He ultimately rescued us in Jesus as the great judge. And so for us, that's, that's faithfulness and goodness of God. And I think even uh, you know, as as we've been thinking about these different these different texts, that um, you know, it's it's easy for us to look at them and and want to judge a person mm-hmm. by a moment, and to think, man, this is is this really as good as it gets? Is this? Re- I mean, I think God is is working with the people that He has available to Him, right? Mm-hmm. And and yet, it's it's through the process of of God working with them that He He actually carries out His plans. That we can we can walk through hard times, and when when we're going through it. It looks like it, all that all that we can see is is despair and trial and hardship and, and we think why why is it this way, but then God does something pretty amazing is on once we once He sees us through it, we can actually look back on it from a from a standpoint of triumph, mm. and and that's what God does for us as as, as we are uh, joined to Him is in, in this relationship with Him is, is He gives us triumph and, and I think ultimate that's ultimately pointing to. Uh, the triumph that we have in Jesus, like, like you're talking about, that we, we overcome these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make those things easy. We walk through them, but we walk through them as, as ones who are able to, to overcome, who are able to endure, who are able to persevere because, because of God. And I think you know, we, we want to point to, well, it's because of this person or it's because of this leader, but really it's, it's because of God. And, and we, we need to continue to, to shift our weight to, to trust Him in that. Mm. Yeah, I won't say any more because this is one of the the second half of my sermon coming up. It's just where do we find hope in Judges? And as I've as I've been praying through this, digging deep in this book, you know, I just just want I want us to all see that there's there's a tremendous amount of hope in this. And um, yeah, it's even in the brokenness, God is always working. 
he's always moving and, and there's so much that we can glean from this that help us live for him today so stay tuned for uh, this sunday sermon teaser yeah so the, so there's um, as, as we're seeing these things unfold in, in Judges, I mean, you, you kind of see, and we, we've talked about it in our, in our sermon series, just this, this ongoing cycle where uh, the, the Israel walks through of, you know, they, they choose not to listen to God or they forget God, and there's this, there's this downward spiral. They, uh, they have oppressors. They cry out for help. Um, God raises up a judge to rescue them, delivers them. They have peace in the land, and, and it just keeps going and going. And then it, it becomes even more noticeable when that doesn't happen. Like in, the, in this last week's sermon, we were talking about um, about Samson, where you, you don't you don't always see, you're starting to see that the people don't cry out for God. And how how does God work even in, even through those things? But you know, even even as we're reading these stories, I mean, it's 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 very clear that what you see going on in Israel in this day. Is very different from from what we experience on a regular basis. I mean, it's it's hard to, to easily map on this same kind of cycle to to our own day, our own lives. Um, and so I'm just just no, wondering. It's, for... it's kind of true because if Lawrence his hair is short now, that's why he's not as strong as yeah, he sure, used sure. to be. Sorry, <laughs> I used to walk here. Stupid thinking, thinking about, joke. Thinking about shaving but, there or something, but yeah, Lawrence um, hasn't shaved his goatee in a while because he's but, he's regrowing his strength. But is there is there anything prescriptive or normative in judges that that we can that does seem to translate to our day that we can apply? Um, I mean, anything in the Old Testament when it deals with Israel, the church is grafted into Israel. So we're not. I I truly believe there's different, you know, doctor, ways of interpreting the church in light of Israel. I believe we're grafted in. I believe that's the biblical language. Some people think. The church fully replaces Israel. Something people think that they're kind of coexisting, and then, but but I would say the for me the the most obvious language is grafting. So that I'm going to use the biblical term. We're grafted in, so we're we're part of Israel now. So this is our story too, and when we look back at it, we can see how how could they get to this point? Well, I can look at church history. I can look at. At slavery, I, I can look at uh, idolatry. I can look at so many things in church history. Uh, stay tuned again for the sermon. I'm going to bring up some of these. You know, where where we get favor with God, the cycle is the most important thing. Where God gives us something good, we're like, thanks, God. Thanks for your help. I'll take it from here. Mm-hmm. And we begin to do it on our own strength. We fail. God, how come you're not here? Come and save me. And then the cycle continues again. It could happen individually. I mean, sometimes this could be your personal pattern every couple of years, financially, uh, emotionally. Like, you know, I'm, I'm being thoughtful in this. I don't want to say that everything is prescriptive to this, but the, these cycles can happen individually as Christians and in local settings and then in the, the, the national church and then the global church. So we can see these patterns uh, happening over and over again. And I think, I think it's really important to to use them as, a, as an example to say we're prone to never look at someone and hold your nose up and say I would never do what they do mm. like we are prone to the same type of sins and the same type of idolatry even if it's not a, a direct one to one parallel so yeah I mentioned in my sermon this past Sunday about Spurgeon having a quote about Old Testament characters mm. and Old, char- Old Testament characters are not characters that we're supposed to imitate exactly 
That's not the purpose of them. The purpose is not to do exactly what David did or don't do exactly what Samson did or do exactly what Abraham did. That's not the purpose of these characters. They're telling a story about talking about a God that we're supposed to emulate, not these characters of old. So I remember growing up as a kid hearing, these are the heroes of our faith. Be a hero like Samson. Be a hero like Gideon. Be a hero. I'm like, that's not the point of the story. That's not. And so I think for us to understand that the point of the story is pointing to our hero God. The point of the story is, is showing our, our, how we relate to the moral failings more than we do to the, the hero stuff of these characters. And the point of the story is the faithfulness of our God. And then we can look at Good when, when they did do right, yeah. and they were blessed. There was 20 years of peace in the land. Right. The Samson story is unique because there's 20 years of peace in the land, then he goes and visits the prostitute. Exactly. So it's like... it's. It's not like the other ones where they kind of God finally settles the deal, jail puts the peg in the head, then there's peace in the land. This one's kind of like Samson does some stuff, got it's not totally settled. There's 20 years of peace in the land, then he goes and sees the prostitute. So and and then Delilah and things start falling apart again. But you also find it interesting is who's mentioned in the Hall of Faith? Samson's mentioned in the Hall of Faith. And, and, Je- and, and Gideon too. And Jephthah too. He's like, uh, you're like, why? Why? You know, I believe Deborah's mentioned because right after it says the prophets. Right. So so we have this Hall of Faith and there's, you know, four judges mentioned. Again, all four of them are not exemplary characters, but they're part of God's faithfulness too. So I, th- I think it's not, we don't just look at that list and see, oh, we're to emulate their actions. We're to emulate how they tr- they did trust God. There were moments when Gideon and Samson trusted God. There were, and Dave, you know, David and these other, there were moments when they didn't trust God. So I, I think that, again, that's why the old, that's part of the reason why we have these Old Testament narratives is, is to show that we're part of this story and there's a lot of brokenness, but there's, there's always light breaking through the darkness. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where, how, what God's been teaching me on that and how I've, how I've processed that, especially this, this go-around of studying Joshua and Judges. So, Lawrence, in, in your introductory sermon to Judges, you, you mentioned that, that Judges relates to the, the Israelites' need for a king in, in some, some ways. We, we, and we've already talked about this, this downward trajectory of the book. Does, does this spiritual decay demonstrate that Israel does need a king? Is that, is that ultimately what, what Judges is trying to lead us to? Or is it, is it meant to tell us that all along they actually had a king, that they should have been looking to God as their king? Yes. So yes. Do they do they have one or do they need one? What, what, both. Is it both? Yeah. The reality to answer, I, I know it's a tricky question, and the reality to answer is both. This yes, they should be looking at God as their king. That's what they were meant to do. But they were human and they were fallen. And they struggled and they wanted to be like the other nations around them who had a king that they could see. And so God in His grace offered them a king. But ultimately, these kings all failed. These judges all failed because ultimately they needed a truer king. They needed God as their king. That's who they needed. And ultimately, God did come as their king to save them and rescue them. So the book of Judges really shows this deterioration of this ruling system when these people are trying to, 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 to look with a failing in their ability to have God as their king. And this is what happens is judges and human beings that they place in authority all fail them. And even the first king and the subsequent kings after the, the second king, who's supposed to be the great king, and he even fails too. Mm-hmm. They all fail. Not all fail, but most of them fail. And, and as, you know, identifying that we, we're coming out of the Greco-Roman, you know, philosophical system into the Enlightenment and the post-Enlightenment period. So when we, we want to have a logical answer for everything, 
But I would argue that the way the Hebrew Bible is presented is more like how we see the story of Job. Like, we don't know why exactly God doesn't intervene all the time. The, the answers aren't always there, even though our scholars, who so many of them I admire, because we're Western, never can deal with paradox, never can deal. We have to have an answer. But I would argue that Joshua and Judges show and, and into the kings, they point to Christ. So there's, very, there's some very clear answers. But why didn't God just make them almost robotically honor him? And, and those kind of questions, it, we're going to get to the same things that happen with Job. Like we'll never fully know every detail of redemptive history in the way that our Western logical minds will want. We'll never get those answers. And if you, you can write books upon books upon books just to start answering the question. I mean, if you look at most of the Western theologians, they literally write books upon books upon books just to answer the question of like, what is evil? Why does God allow evil? And, and, and those are great pursuits. I've actually benefited from those. At the same time, there's a trajectory that God and a path that God is bringing his people on. And we're part of that. Like I said, we're grafted into the, these are our people. We're grafted into the family of Abraham, you know, father Abraham Amen. and many sons and many sons. Because it's like so, one of our favorite songs. So point. <laughs> yeah. So, so we are grafted in and this is our history, but we, we're not given every detail. We don't get the full counsel of God. Roman, the, actually, the story of us graft, of the Jews and the Gentiles being grafted in is Romans 1 through 11, and it ends saying, it's a mystery, and God's not going to give you the final answer. That's how Paul ends that section of Romans, his grand thesis. So I, I, th- I think it's, it's both. It's, we can easily look at the trajectory and say it shows our brokenness. It shows that no matter what God gives us, we'll still not honor him without Christ and without the power of the spirit at the same time there's we just don't know why God did it this way and didn't do it other ways we have to just trust that he's his will is perfect and, and he's in control and he, he knew what he was doing and and if even if you're struggling you can just look to Jesus all this leads us to Jesus even the the story right after this talks about Ruth and this Moabite woman, Moabite's a terrible story in the Bible. The Moabites come about by incest of Lot, and the descendant of a Moabite and an Israelite give us David, who gives us Jesus. Mm. You know, talk about redemption. Talk about the beauty of the gospel. And Matthew's very clear to show us this in the genealogy of Jesus. And I think that's a beautiful picture of God. God not only in some ways maybe acquiescing to, to giving the people what they want while also weaving in ultimately providing them what they need because I mean you, you have like like judges and it's like not this judge not this judge not this like it, it doesn't like each one dies and it doesn't it doesn't lead to a long lasting peace and, and I think like you know, even in this last sermon on Samson, where you're 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 hearing this story about Samson, the, the build up, the anticipation. It's like all all these provisions that that God has provided before, and he's, he's we'll have a judge who's going to be born a judge, and he's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to and and then you have this big reveal, and it's like, oh, hmm. wow, this is this isn't maybe maybe we need to scrap the whole judge system and try try something else because I mean, judges ends in this concluding way of all the people did what was right in their own eyes and because they need, they didn't have kings so maybe a king's the solution and so maybe maybe that's what mm-hmm. it is which is humorous because they didn't do what was right in their own eyes but their eyes wanted to have a, a king like the other nations wanted a king and you even you even see that that story kind of play out as you get into like Saul's story like King Saul right. and, and like the people the people like 
you know how like God God judges based on the heart, but the people they like you know just all you look like all, a kid. all the all the language of that. They're like this is the kind of king that we like. This is the one that we want, and it's like, well, again, God God is still working. He's providing these provisions, and and ultimately, it's, we need Him. We need Him. And ultimately, if you look at the story of Samson, and like see all the build up to his story, the Nazarite vows, his birth, his the, everything about him, he looks like the type of king that we would want, mm-hmm. right? Samson looks like he's. Big. He's tough. He's strong. He kills a thousand people. He tells riddles. He fights against the oppressors. He's the type of king that you want. Lawrence wants to go see this movie and all three sequels. Right? I mean, like he's like, I mean, honestly though, he's like. I hate to say it this way, but he's like that guy that like you're like yes, that's the barbarian king. He's Conan. You know, he's a king that you wanted to follow. But then all of a sudden comes the real king, the one set apart from birth, who didn't look. Anything like Samson. He's gentle and he's meek gentle and lowly. He's gentle and meek and lowly. You mm. know? He's not the, the burly, tough guy that killed a thousand people with a donkey bone. He could. He could. But he's lowly. He's humble. He has all the power to do so. He looks nothing like what we would expect a king to look like. See, this is the problem is that we use our own eyes. Mm. Our own sight is so flawed. And we look for a, a, a Samson when we really needed a Jesus. Yeah. And even David starts off a little more like Jesus, like he's the lowest brother on the chain, he's small, and he just becomes like all the other kings. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, I mean, he, he writes the Psalms. He's, it's amazing what David does, but he becomes, he falls prey to all the idolatry and all the pride. Power, power corrupts him. Yeah. Yeah, so ultimately, as, as we've navigated these stories, these books, we, we know that it's leading us, it's ushering us forward to, to Jesus as as the one he's he's the he's the rightful judge he's the true king he's the he's the the anointed one he's the one who's he's the one that we need and all these other all these other leaders or systems that that are built they they fall short they fall flat on their face not not entirely i mean god god is still working through them he's working through broken people he's working through the sinfulness of man and and and, and still working out his plans and and but yet we we know as as ones who live in light of this new covenant. We have this new relationship through Jesus that we are in Christ together and we are members of one another and we're called to, to live this out. And so even even with this, we, we still have some of these the same questions that they're wrestling with in their own day. The, the God, God is establishing a relationship with his people and he, he's inviting them to live out that relationship in, in real life, in real community. And, and we're trying to live that out in our own day. And so the, the, the last question I have for us is, how, how do we live in spiritual Canaan while avoiding conformity to a Canaanite world? Mm. I mean, it's a, it's a massive question, I know. So, the, so, but, the but gospel. Still, like, yeah. The gospel. <laughs> the good news of Jesus. Like, we have to literally live out his truth, his word. I mean, that's the short answer. That's the answer to, like, 95% of Sunday school questions, <laughs> Jesus. He just said Jesus. good news. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, practically, what do you think, Lawrence? What do you well, think, Eric? I, what a tough question, because that's the question, is, right? We're... If we look at it this way, we're in Canaan, in the land, and we're advancing his kingdom. And so we're surrounded by Canaanites. I think the answer is, one, humility. Like, I think the problem with so many of these leaders, especially the judges, look at Gideon, look at Samson. Their, their, their issue became pride. Gideon started off scared, but what did he do? What did he later do? He said, my, he named himself king. You know, he took revenge because my name is greater. 
it's this idea of like we think ourselves un- not susceptible to the temptations of the world around us. We think we earned our salvation. We think we're powerful. We think we're Samson. We think we can do the saving. We think we're stronger than we really are. I think acknowledging our, our need for Jesus, uh, our need for relationship, our need to abide and to dwell in Him needs to be our first kind of step in how do we live um, as as foreigners, as sojourners. I think the other step is understanding who our identity is. We're elect exiles. This is not our home. We're the, This idea that um, how do we live in this land of Canaan is that uh, the, the culture, when I say this is not home, I'm not talking about the land in particular in this situation. I'm talking about more specifically the culture of Canaan that we live in right now. This culture that we live in is not the culture that we're made for. This is not the culture that identifies who we are. So we need to live a separate culture. We need to live with a culture that says, hey, I'm an ambassador of, of a different culture. Not to, not to speak down and look with haughty eyes upon people, but to say, and not to not take any part of what's going on in the culture around us, because we're called to be instruments of change in this culture, but to be humble and to know who you are. You know, all that is wrapped up, like Pastor Jay said, in the gospel. Hmm. And I, yeah. I think that... Um, as we come into this, that uh, the gospel, the gospel is the entry point into this mm-hmm. this this new life, this new way of living. But it's also it's also what we need to continue on as That's we continue right. to grow. The gospel, the gospel is not just the the entry point. It's not just the doorway, but it's it's how we continue to grow in in our sanctification in the Christian Christian mm-hmm. life. That's good. And I think uh, I was actually talking to to Danny about this the other day of. Yeah, I would say that every every Christian, if you ask them, they'd say like, "What what's the what's the goal of the Christian life?" It's or we we would all say to to some extent to some effect, we we want to be more like Jesus, right? Um, but then the question is, well, well, how do you do that? What what's your strategy for becoming more like Jesus? Not and, and I don't I don't ask that question just to say that well there there's no there's there is no strategy or there's no there's not there's not one way but but I think even connecting the, the way that we live our lives knowing just knowing that we we can actually grow in Christian maturity that we can actually grow in Christ likeness through through the work of the Spirit in us that that it's it's something that's possible for us to to grow in that um and it, and it comes through it's. It, a lifestyle it's, it's learning the way of Jesus and choosing to to, to follow him to, to walk with him mm-hmm. and I think even connecting and we the do things, that in community like John 14 to right, 17 said, right. everything Jesus commands is a plural you he's saying you guys are going to do this so like, I think I think even being able to uh, to think about how some of these different things that we're a part of or some of these different practices that we engage in how how they are actually connecting us they're actually ways that we participate in the gospel in our in our daily lives where you know if, if you really believe that you are united in Christ well that means you're you're connected to a body that means you you relate to people you relate to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ so there's there's context where you can do that and i think um, even even kind of learning that even thinking in those terms of uh, I want to. I want to remind myself. I want to teach myself the gospel daily. I think is is one of the ways that we uh, we pursue transformation, where where God, or, or at least open ourselves up to transformation and allow God to work in us. That um, I think if you if you engage in in just 
spiritual practices or, or like Christian Christian practices that you, you are disconnected. I mean, it's kind of like how we talked about, I mean, in a previous podcast about liturgy, like if you just, if you're completely disconnected from what, what you're actually doing, then you'll just think, well, this is just rote and, and you eroded of its meaning, but when we connect these things back to the gospel and our participation, our involvement in it, and, and seeing the things that God is doing through them and how he's producing, a, he's doing a good work in us through these things, I think I think that's one of the ways that, that we orient ourselves and, and try to get uh, God's word on our minds and our hearts and, and allow God to just, I mean, just having an openness and, and a teachability and a brokenness about us that allows God to, to humbly, a humbling of ourselves that allows God to work through us. Yeah, and my final thoughts on this, like how do we live in spiritual Canaan but avoid conforming to the Canaanite gods and idols is I think we have a guide. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have Acts. We have the letters. We have how to live in the land. Like we have God's word, we have his spirit, and we have his church. Mm-hmm. And it fleshes itself out. And I think the danger is one thing we can learn from Judges particularly in Joshua 2 is we can't come with this mentality is if just these things happen, if X, Y, and Z happens, then everything will be perfect. If this person is president, if this type of political system, if we use this type of money, if we did this type of taxes, then everything would be perfect. I think when Christians start getting into that, I, I mean, it's fine to fight for stuff. I want, like I said, I almost ran for president in 2024. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I, there's nothing wrong with politics. I actually wish more Christians would enter into politics. I wish, and they would be in dialogue with their local church as they're learning to love and engage the, the broken world. So, so I would say if, if God's even remotely calling you to enter into politics, come talk to us and we, we would love to help you navigate that yes do it so so or you know whether it's actual politics or just just policy change or nonprofit organizations yeah but but i i think that we need to think of like we're in the land and jesus said when he saw the crowd he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd that's our the guy we follow our king looked out and he saw people confused and helpless but the danger is is then we want to be like them so how do we live in the land love them, you know, love God, love our neighbor, say no, you know, James says, you know, take care of the widow and the orphan and keep yourself unstained from the world, basically keep from idols. So it, it has to be the gospel, the church, and the spirit guiding us. It has to be this combo, and we can do it together, guys. I'll, I'll end with this if you guys have anything else on. This is the passage that Lawrence quoted earlier. But Jesus, at the end of the summary of this, this teaching to y'all, to this group of people, and really to us, to his disciples and to us, he says, I have told you these things. This is the final summary. He's, he's ending this section so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's a good word, and it's a good word to end on. I'm, I just want to say uh, thank you guys for, for joining us in studio today. Uh, I really appreciate this conversation, and just I, I really appreciate us being able to be in a church where we can do the work of theology and community, where we can wrestle through these things and continue to grow together as we continue to learn. And so, and and praise God that we have uh, Jesus, our our uh, our Lord and Savior, who who helps Amen. us to overcome the world, and we can we can lean on Him even even when we fail. We can we can trust Him and continue to lean on Him. So. I hope this conversation blesses you and hope that you have a great rest of your week. Take care, guys. Love you all. Thanks, y'all.